guy is Pleasant View on Buckner, been here for, you know, since 1954. Uh, why are we here doing what we do week in and week out all year long? And we have this idea that we talked about last week that we want to help get people planted in a relationship with God. That the church exists to point people to the fact that they need a Savior. It's not themselves. It's not somebody else. But they, they need Jesus. Okay? Well, today we're going to talk about the next part of that. Because it's one thing to get Jesus in your life. But there's something you got to do with that journey. Am I right? There's something where we've, it's called grow. And we want to talk to you about why we should be growing. And how does what does growing look like for all of us? Because growing is a... An important piece of the journey that we're all on. And so I showed you that video because I think it's kind of an interesting thing that, that you want to come to church, but you know, we, for me, I want you to grow. I want you to grow in your foundation of who Christ is and who He wants to be in your life. I want you to grow in the knowledge of who God is, His character, His love, His attributes, His expectations, His, all the things that He has. And I, for you to grow. And so uh, let me just walk you down through some things. If you want to go to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be there in just a minute, but let me walk you down through a few things. Why are we here? Pleasant View exists to help people plant others in Christ, help people grow, which we're going to talk about in Christ, and multiply the message of Christ to the world around us. And we're going to talk about multiply next week. And we used this quote last week from C.S. Lewis, I think says it really well, why the church exists. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and make them little Christ. If we are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. That if we're not doing, if people aren't looking more like Jesus, all the bells and whistles that the churches can create, it's pointless. It may, makes us feel better, makes us look good. Well, let me tell you a story about a guy. And he could be a guy or a girl. And just talking about, as we kind of set the table for this, this idea of, that, of, of growing in our relationship with God. This is a guy named Hank. It says, Hank attended church since he was a boy, and now he was in his 60s. He was known by everyone, but no one really knew him. He had difficulty loving his wife. His children could not speak freely with him and felt no affection from him. He was not concerned for the poor, had little tolerance for those outside the church, and tended to jar, judge harshly those in the church. One day, a church member asked him, Hank, are you happy? And without smiling, he responded, yes. Well, the church member said, you should tell your face. Hank's outside demeanor mirrored a deeper and more tragic reality. Hank wasn't growing. He was not being transformed. But here's the most remarkable thing. Nobody in the church was surprised about Hank. No one called me or anybody else and said, we need to have an emergency meeting. Hank isn't growing in his relationship with God. And he's been in this church for 40 years. But yet Hank would have been 
measured by his attendance, by the fact that he carried a Bible in here, and that he put money in the offering plate, and that he served in some capacity. And we would have measured his spiritualness based on those things. And would that be accurate or inaccurate? It'd be inaccurate. Because you can do those things. How do we know this? The religious leaders of Jesus' day did those things really well. And you would have you would have assumed that they were fairly spiritual. That doesn't necessarily translate. And so as we walk through this, Paul in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 kind of gives you that if the church, if the people that make up the church are growing, there is amazing benefits. There's amazing things that can happen. And there's a reason why we need to be growing in our relationship with God. And I think for all of us in here that, that it's, it's funny because it is probably easier to, to, to have a quiet time, to serve, to do things, and yet not be growing the way that we should be. And Paul gives you kind of a good blueprint. There are other places that you could certainly go to. But I think where I want to camp today is in Ephesians chapter 4 because you get this really great picture of what the church can look like if people are actually growing in their relationship with God. And let me just help you out. We are mandated to grow. You know, that God, when you, when you enter into a relationship with God, God's like, you know, that's, that's a great step, but there's a lot more that needs to happen here. And so in Ephesians 4, let's jump there. And so I want to go back because the therefore is really important. Because what we're about to read references back to a couple of verses. So I want to read back starting in verse 20. It says, and this is in chapter 3. And it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask, according to the power at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. He says, God is at work and wants to do abundantly more in the church. And then we get to chapter 4, verse 1. Look at what it says. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, that means he, that he is under, the, he is under the, Lord, the leadership and under the, the direction of God. He says, I am a prisoner of the Lord. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humanity and with well excuse me with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love encouraged to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace right out of the shoot he says god is abundantly giving and wants the church to be in a, the healthiest spot possible and he tells us he urges us he says walk in a way that's worthy of your calling. Walk in a way that, if I can say it in layman's terms, walk in a way that represents Jesus well. Not Pleasant View, not Danny. Walk in a way that honors God in a way that matter, that people go, wow, okay, that person, that person knows Jesus. Because Paul knows that the unity of the church will be seen. How many of you have known a church they just seem to be just known for fighting? Have you known that church? Everybody go, oh, they're fighting again? How many splits have they gone through? How, man, that church, you, you went that church, that, that church is the most ungracious. They're, they're not welcoming. They're mean. They don't care about anybody else but themselves. I mean, you can get a reputation. And Paul is saying, look, 
when you, there's unity, when there is when there is maturing going on, people stand up and take notice. And if you you don't have, to, I didn't give you this, but this is worth the walk part. Is daily personal character on display? When he, when Paul says the walk, he's talking about your daily life is on display for people to see. And I know that we're not going to always get it right, but man, when you don't get it right, have the courage to own it and say, I, I didn't handle this as well as I could have. The worthy part, walk in a manner that matches our position as sons and daughters of Christ. We're called this walk and walk in that, that we represent Christ well in here and out there. Does that make sense? So it's really important that we do that. He says that when there's unity, then everything else kind of falls in place. So he kind of talks about this word one. And he's really reminding church there's one thing that really matters. And because when we get behind all this and we don't start to, we don't say, well, there's, there's this way and there's that way. And Paul's like, look, when you're maturing and growing, look what he says in verse four. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to be the one hope and that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, when, when there's unity and when there's maturing going on, you don't piece those out and start to try to, try to write some addendums to them. He says, when we're getting those things right, people are like, well, there, there's some unity here because these are the things they value. These are the things that are important to them. They're not getting sidetracked and chasing rabbits on some other things. And so he's talking about that. He says, but verse 7, he says this. He says, but grace was given to each one of you according to the measure of, of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he, he led the, high, the host of captive, captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into heaven and lower regions to the earth. He who descends is the one who also ascended from above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He says, God has been at work. He came down here and he equipped. We know that because he was doing that with his guys. But he was in the business of equipping. And for you and I sitting in here, he's equipped you for stuff. He's equipped you. He's designed you. He's hardwired you for specific tasks. And you can't go, you know, my thing is not that important, Danny. I'm just this. I'm just that. No. Just because you don't have a pastor title, your value is significant and crucial to the health of this church. Okay? It's crucial. I can't do everything, and I'm not supposed to. And you are going to be better equipped in some areas than I am. That's where God wants you to be. And so he says, I've given these gifts. But let me just remind you, if you are not maturing in your faith, you probably won't do those things. That's what's really tragic. Is somebody who's hardwired to do stuff for God and they're like, yeah, I'm not going to do them. I don't want to do them. I, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not growing. And so when you're, let me just tell you, when you are not growing, the last thing you really want to do is serve God in a capacity that requires you to grow. So Paul is saying, I urge you to walk in a way that's worthy. And he says, he goes, make sure that you understand that when you're maturing, that everybody falls under this umbrella, that there's one God, one baptism, one faith, and, and it goes through that list. And then he says, and then it, he's building on this. And then he says, in addition to that, you've been gifted with some of God's attributes, some of God's character, and he wants you to serve in such a manner. 
And so it's so important that we go, ah, I don't really want to do that, Danny. I don't think it's that important. And God's going, I think it's really important. I think it's significant if you're in a life group or if you're serving or if you are doing something for the kingdom of God because I've asked you to do it. And the idea about grow, I love this. Giftedness is for building. See, when God wired us for stuff, he, he wired us for the building the kingdom of God. Not a kingdom like in just mass numbers. I'm not that we build each other up. And how do we know that? Because look at what it says back at verse 12 at the end. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's part of my job, is to help build up the body of Christ. Not numerically. If numerically happens, that's great. And I'm, I'm all for that. But my primary role is meant to help equip you guys to be strong in your faith. Whether it's this, life groups, reading, whatever. I want to help you to grow in your faith journey. And we all get to be a part of that. How many of you in here, somebody has helped you in your faith journey? Look at the hands. I mean, think about that just a second. Put your hands back up for just a second. I mean, that's more than half of you. Somebody helped you in some capacity in your faith journey. And that that tells you the value of growth. That when we're growing, we tend to want to help others grow. And we don't have to have it all figured out. God's not asking for that. He's just asking you to put yourself in a position that if you're growing, you're likely want to help somebody. Timothy Keller said this pretty well. He says, we don't just have God's gifts. We are God's gift to his church. We are not meant to be consumers, but contributors. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote uh, in his book, Screwtape Letters, he said that in the book is a great read. I've, said, I've referenced this book quite often. But in the book, he said that he was talking to his, uh, his apprentice. And he said, if, if you can't get them to... Um, what, you want to, what you want to do is to get them to think of church as being just a connoisseur of the church and never a contributor. Just keep trying churches out, but never really gauge in any of them. And I think there's some truth to that, that, that the enemy wants you to never be engaged in the church. He just wants you to kind of test it out, try it out. Let me just have a little bit, but not too much. And we are to be contributors and that you have something to contribute. We tell people that take 101 that every year, every time we have that there's something to this, that you have a piece of the puzzle and your piece really matters in some way. You're going to, you have a voice, you have something you can share, be, do, whatever. But God wants to use you, but you're not going to be in a position to be utilized if you're not growing. So let's keep reading verse 13. Until we all attain the unity of faith, and it's interesting. He says that there's this unity in the faith of, that your relationship is unified with Christ. Because I don't know about you, but aren't there some days you just don't want to do what God asks you to do? Aren't there some days you read something and go, you know, God, I'm just not feeling really lovey today. I want to give him some truth, not a lot of grace. And they may need that, but there's a way to do that. He says, until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature in manhood into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, here's the funny thing. God's expecting you to grow, but you know what we measure ourselves against? Not against Him, but everybody else. I measure my spirituality. It's easier to do if I measure it against Corey than if I measure it against God. Because I can go, oh, I'm doing pretty well. And Paul is saying, 
He gives you the blueprint. Measure it in the stature of the fullness of Christ. Measure your, how you're growing in your relationship with God at His standard, at His way, not everybody else. Because that's a false assumption. That's a false, that's a false foundation. Well, I'm doing pretty well. Because He says, you really need to be growing in your faith. You really need to be maturing. And you need to put yourself around people that you can grow. It's more than just having quiet time, folks, and that is really crucial. But man, it's, it's putting yourself with people that you can walk with people and that you can share life together and you can dig into God's Word and you can ask the hard questions and dig a little bit. Because he says that you've got to grow. It gives you the knowledge, mature, and you need to measure your stature in the fullness of Christ. How, what, what does Christ look like? And that's what I need to be shooting, shooting for because verse 14 starts to spell the reasons. If you don't, look at what can happen. So that we are no longer to be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried away by every kind, every, every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We live in a culture where people can give you a lot of opinions about who God is and who God wants to be in your life. And you can, you can say, well, he's the pastor. That has to be right. I, I remember my pastor growing up. Ken Emerson. And I'll never forget one time on a Sunday morning, he said, you should never assume you should dig and make sure that what I've told you is right. You should be, you should assume, you should dig, you should ask, you should say, God, is this, and he says, I'm doing my absolute best to teach you the word of God in a clear, concise, and accurate way, but just don't rubber stamp it because I'm your pastor. He says, because if, when you dig a little bit, there's something to that that building your own foundation. Because there are lots of people out there that are going to give you a little slightly different version of who God is. And it's really scary to think about people who are out there giving you the prosperity gospel or teaching you just the New Testament, not the Old Testament, or softening salvation or a host of other things. And it happens. And so people get tossed. Why do we see college kids that really struggle with faith? It's because their foundation was fairly solid. They go off to college and gets pretty shaky because they start to hear all these different ways and different things they had never even thought about. And it's interesting that he talks about them being tossed like in a storm and that you can get carried away by doctrine. You go, well, that doesn't sound so bad. You know, I've said this before. A lot of the major uh, cults, um, other denominations, a lot of us have a baseline of morality, of morals, okay, that are almost all of us would agree to. It's beyond that is where the tension starts to rise. Like, like, what does salvation look like? How do we get to heaven? Who is Jesus more than, is, was he just a great man or was, is he truly the savior of the world? It's typically, because everybody gets right to the morals, they go, well, they're all like us. Or, well, what's the difference? You always have to go to the next level to see what they really stand for. Just, just, if you want to know, always go beyond the morals, the moral things. Like, how do I get to heaven? Who is God? Who is Jesus? All those kinds of things. And that's why he says you need to be growing. You need to dig. And let me just tell you, this isn't like a crash course. It's just a journey. It's just a journey. I gave my heart to God when I was 17 years old. And I've been on a journey ever since. And sometimes I grow faster. Sometimes I grow a little slower. It depends on me. But God grows me at my pace. And you can't look at somebody else and say, I need to be growing as fast as Keith is. No, God's, asked, God's got you wired to grow at your pace because 
that's, that's the pace that's good for you, okay? It's good for you. I remember that I, I, I was, gosh, I was just probably 20, 25 years ago, I was, I was thinking, man, I just really need to grow in my walk, and I need to go deeper. So I, got, I went and got this d- devotional. It's been around forever. Um, it's utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers. How many of you have ever done that? Uh, I don't know about you, but you have to read that slow. Am I right? Any of you have ever done it? You've got to read that baby slow, and you might have to read it a second time. And I remember that I, I felt this, like I, I've been a Christian for a lot of years. I, I should be doing this book. Can I be honest? That book was like this over my head. I wasn't ready for that book. I was not ready for the way that Oswald Chambers talked about the Word of God. I was just not ready for that at the moment. And so I went to this other book that impacted me profoundly. So I did it three times. And it was called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And I did that devotional. And that positioned me to keep growing. But I did that book, and that book, that devotional was phenomenal. I, 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 let me just tell you, if you ever read a scripture and you went, I have no idea what that just said. Okay, don't panic. But trust the author who wrote it. Okay. And so we, we're here to do this. We're here to grow. Look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. We are to grow up in everything with him into him. Who is the head into Christ? He says, you are not to be drinking juice boxes in the same class for 15 years. You are meant for more than that. You are meant, in reality, that young man should have been teaching those kids at some point or had his own group. We are to grow up in our faith journey. We are to, and when I mean grow up, I'm not talking about a lot of head knowledge. Paul takes care of that answer because look what he says grow it into him you need to grow up into he didn't say you need to grow up into Danny you need to grow up into some famous author you're reading you need to grow up into him which is Christ who is the head for whom the whole body joined and held together from every joint which is equipped with when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up into love. Look, man, look at what Paul is saying here. He says, when the body is growing, everybody benefits. Everybody benefits. When the body of Christ is growing, the whole church benefits. And then that has ancillary effects to the world around us because we want others to see Jesus. We want others to experience Jesus. We want others to know what Jesus looks like. So let's keep going. He says, when the church is doing its thing, working properly, it makes the body, the, the body grow. Everybody, when everybody wants to church, do this thing, it's a win-win. So if you're taking notes, I want to give you a couple of quick things about what does grow look like. First off, it's Christ-likeness. Okay, verse 13 says that, that we look, we look more like Jesus the more we're growing. That, okay, and I want you to make sure you understand, it's not just about knowledge. Knowledge is good, but you are to look more like Jesus. Something about stability, the more mature we are, the more stable we are. We don't have these vast highs and lows. If somebody, if, if we get out of sorts with somebody, we don't, man, he's going to overreact or she's going to underreact. The more mature we are, it seems that we have more stability. And the next one is out of verse 15. Because 
one of the things is that truth and love are wrapped together because some people are really good at truth. Man, I'll, I'll pound you with the truth and you're going to look like a mashed potatoes when I get done with you. And then you got the other people who are so fluffy that you, you could have murdered somebody. Well, you know, God will forgive you for that. That'll be okay. You know, there's no, there's no truth to the consequences. And so what Paul is saying here is that when you are maturing, you are able to take truth and love and blend them together so that the message of God doesn't get watered down, but you're able to convey in such a way that somebody goes, I, I get it. But the way you talk to me, I can actually see what God is, means by this. Because when you hit me over the head with it, I don't hear that anymore. All I feel is the pain. And so truth and love are a great attribute of maturing Christians. The last one is cooperation. And I'm not talking about rubber stamp and everything through, but that we cooperate in doing the greater good for the community, for our congregation. Whatever we're doing honors God. I promise you, we will not do everything you want. I know that. We don't do everything I want. But we cooperate in a spirit of I'm growing. I see the bigger picture here. I want to be a part of something that's bigger than myself. So I'm going to be supportive and do that thing. Maturing means arranging our lives around practices that shape us into the likeness of Christ. It certainly means spending time with God. It certainly means praying. It certainly means engaging. It certainly means doing stuff and doing that. Uh, and I, we're about to get to a pretty interesting part because I, I thought, you know, I need to give you, I'm one of those visual kind of guys. And so... Now, if you wear a polyester suit, I apologize, but Paul told us, not only here, but in lots of places, that when we become a follower of Christ, we are to take off our old self. We are to, we are to get rid of that old self. And here's what I know. How many of you have that closet that there's stuff back there and you go, Wow, I didn't know I had that. How many of you own it? You, got, you, you, you go back to your closet and you go, I didn't know I had this. There's a reason why there's the back of your closet. Just saying. Here's what I know about the Christian faith. Because God told us to put on the new self and get rid of the old self. You know what a lot of people do? They take the old self and they just put it in the back of the closet. They don't ever actually get rid of it. It just kind of stays back there. And we think, it's, I put on the new Christ, I, I, I'm, me and God, my new identity. But I'm going to leave that old self back there. Yeah, I don't know, just as a, a memento, a reminder way I used to be. And I know this about my old self. If I don't get rid of it, if I don't take it out to the trash, if I don't discard it, does it have, a, does it have the potential to revisit my life. It does. Because of my own sinful background, the way I'm wired, I could easily go, you know, I haven't had that coat on in a while. You know, I know I put on the new relationship with God, and I'm going to show you a whole bunch of verses that speak to this. I don't think I can put this on because I've got too much muscle. <laughs> yep, I can. All right. Wow, polyester. I haven't had that on in a while. 
Now the question is, is can you button across here? If I don't flex, I think it's possible. <laughs> Why are you laughing? The thing about old is it was designed, it, the reason it's old. I mean, there's a reason that this is old and it was in the back of the closet and it's dusty. And, and God is saying, leave the old behind. Leave it behind. I'm going to leave it in this way so you can just see the prettiness of that coat. Leave it behind. It's, it was there for a reason. Leave your old self behind. And, that, and here's the part I'm trying to make. Paul is telling us that there should be growth. That you shouldn't want the old way. The old way didn't help you. It hurts you. It hurts you. And so the closet is where we say, oh, well, I just, Danny, I, I, you know, see, let me just tell you, pride says, I can leave it there, Danny. It's not going to be a problem. You're in, uh, you're in a city of denial. I'm just going to help you out there. This new identity is right here. We are to live in a new identity. That that is not the way where God says, get rid of that. Don't leave it where it's in proximity to you because there's problems. How do we know this? Because look at some of these. I'm going to kind of go through rapid fire of these. Colossians 3, 9 and 10, it says, seeing that you put you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Romans 3 or 13, 12. The night is, is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So he makes this pretty clear. It's like, you put on Christ. Don't reach back into the closet and go, you know, that old self, that was kind of a crazy time. There was a reason why it was crazy. There was a reason why you put on the new self. And there's a reason why that should not stay in your closet. It needs to go. It needs to go bye-bye. It needs to be pitched. Because if you don't, and I know this about myself, there's sometimes I go, man, you know, if I wash that, I'm a lot stronger spiritually than I used to be. I could probably, you know, that won't affect me too much. And see what Jesus is saying that in your spiritual growth, you've got to get rid of stuff. You can't let it sit any longer. You've got to get rid of it. And I wrote this down. The most dangerous Christian are spiritual chameleons. They kind of just go. They, they kind of look like everything, but not Jesus. They're Jesus at church. They look like Jesus. They say all the right things, but at work, they're not Jesus. They're Jesus at church, and they say the right things, but they're not at home. They're Jesus and say all the right things at church, but they're not with their coworkers or their waitresses or waiters after service. See, Spiritual chameleons look like everything, but their identity gets lost. In, in, and they, people go, you're a Christ follower? And they kind of go, whoa. They kind of give you that look. So let's keep reading. Let's finish this out. Look at what he says, because he says, if you are not growing, if you are not maturing, look at what he says. Look at what happens if we're not. And this is why this is so valuable. Verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. He says, if you're not growing, look at where you can digress. 
They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. And that is not the way you learn Christ. He gives us a prime example that people who used to be in love with God just chose to go back to their old ways for whatever reason. And that if you are not growing, you have a tendency to lean back to your old self instead of getting rid of it. You kind of keep it in the closet and you kind of think, ah, I got this one, Danny. I got this one. And so he talks about that pretty clearly. He says, verse 20, but this is, this is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming, look at what Paul says. This is pretty strong. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught about him as the truth that is in Jesus. This is assuming that you really know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. So look at what he says in verse 22, going back to the put off. Put off your old self. Put it away. Kill it. Get rid of it. It needs to be put away. Stop going back to your old ways. And that's why spiritual growth is so important. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on your new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, man, put on the new God, put on the new relation, this identity, put it on, take this and get rid of it. Get rid of it. Put it somewhere where it's not in your closet, not near you. Get it out of here because if it's going to be a stumbling block for you that you keep wanting to go back and look, man, that was a, that was all right. He says, put on your new self. Because let me just remind you, this new self thing is a, is a constant. You're growing in your identity in Christ. You keep asking God. You keep walking. You keep talking. You keep digging. You keep surrendering. You keep, everybody in this room gets thirsty. Just make sure you're thirsty for the right thing. Okay? Just make sure you're thirsty for the right thing. So if you're, right, if you're taking notes, new responsibilities correspond with our new identity. New responsibilities correspond with our new identity. When you become a, a, a child of God, there are responsibilities to live in a way that reflects that. Does that make sense? Your spiritual life, let me just help you out here, is not just right now. It is your life. How you live really matters. How you live, your spiritual life isn't just what you do in a life group, which what you just do on a Sunday morning, what you do in, in whatever it is you do with for the church and in the church. It is your life. And how you live and grow in that is really important for us. You want me as your pastor growing, don't you? You want me. Here's, you should expect me to grow. You want me to be growing in my faith. You want me to be digging in the Word. You want me to keep growing in my faith journey. Well, here's the reality. I want you to as well. Because I know that when you are growing, this church is better and God is honored. Your marriages are stronger. Your parenting is better. You make better decisions. You think more about the kingdom of God than about the kingdom of self. Your whole life matters. So let me introduce you to a friend of mine. Um, I've known Ben and his awesome family for, I don't know how long. Since May. Since May. Uh, this is Ben McKinney. Everybody say hi, Ben. Hello. Have a seat. You get the red chair. It's not a hot seat. I just want you to know that. <laughs> this is Ben. I, 
uh, I meet with Ben. He's in our life group. Uh, he and his wife, Danielle, and um, about May, right? Yes, yeah, it's May last year. And we meet, I don't know, a couple times a month. We'll grab coffee and chit-chat about Jesus and life and all that kind of stuff. And so we were chatting last week, and I was telling him kind of what we're doing today. And, and so I asked you, I, asked, I said, what, what drew you to our church? And so I asked you just to come and share. What, what, were, the, what were the things that drew you and why Life Group for you was so important? Uh, yeah, well, um, before coming to the church, I kind of researched a little bit about the church. And, um, you know, I realized one of the main commitments to the church was small groups and Awana. And those are the two things that, you know, in our stage of our life right now, uh, that seemed like a, a perfect fit. And, and from my past experience, I knew that small groups were real critical to my growth. Um, spiritual growth, and so I really wanted to make sure that we uh, connected to a church that had had you know a real commitment to small groups. And you've been—I mean, you kind of jumped into ours almost immediately. Yeah, yeah, you invited us to be a part of your your group, and so really appreciate that. Yeah, we've had, um, and our group is pretty much made up, and we've got a few veterans in there, but it's pretty much people who've joined our church in the last. I mean, that started coming in the last year. Um, and and we've got some Wiley veterans in there as well. But the idea behind Life Groups, what, what is the thing about Life Groups that's so important to you? Well, um, to me, like, when you asked me to think about this, one of the, the verses that kind of came to my mind was um, where it says, we should spur each other on towards love and good works. And to me, I think, like, a small group is, like, you know, perfectly designed for that. Um, when you get a group of people that are together and they want to know God um, and they're committed to really living the Christian life and they're willing to be authentic with each other, um, you know, I think, you know, spurring each other and encouraging each other is, is, is perfect for that. And I think the small group really works for that. And um, you find out that you have similar trials and similar struggles. Um, you kind of get to celebrate things together. And, and for us, it's, you know, really critical because we don't really have any, any family nearby. My, my nearest family is 500 miles away. And so they have a group of people that care about us. And, um, you know, if we're sick and they come and check on us and, and call us and make sure everything's okay. And so um, to me, you know, the small group really works well uh, for that. And, and it helps encourage me, you know, that, that part. So well, I, I wanted Ben, I wanted you to hear it from because I'm supposed to say that to you all. But I knew that it, he valued it. I know there's some of you others who value it as much as he does. That there's something valuable about being a part of a group of people that can check on you. That you can check on them. That you can share life together. That you can pray with each other. That you can encourage each other. That you can share the joys and the struggles. And so I really just want to say thank you for giving some insight and some uh, uh, approval of that this is a valuable thing in our faith journey. Would you agree? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. So I just wanted you to hear from somebody that, that that's important to him and as, as it, is to, it is to me that being, if you're only here for this time, there's so much more that God has for you. And having those relationships, and let me just tell you, it, there's something about walking with people that that's the way God made it to work for the church is that we walk with people, that we help people take their faith steps, that we help people grow. And we get to do that in a, in a great way diversity of people. So let's finish it out. Verse 24 says, therefore, he says, you put on the new self, go back to the, you got to look at the therefore, what was before it, get, put, get off the old stuff, put on the new Christ, leave it on, 
don't think about, I may do a little wardrobe change. It says, put off the falsehood, or put away the falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth which with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Do not, see, look what he says is when you put on the fullness of God, when you put on this new identity, look at what happens. Look at what he, he's telling you. He's kind of giving you this tension. Here's what can go well, and this is what could go badly if you're not growing. And that's what verses 26 talk about, starting in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. Let no corruption, corruptive, corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Let me just stop there for a second. Can you imagine there's been times where God goes, man, please don't say that. Please don't do that. That when we act in a way contrary to what our our identity is and our calling is, it grieves the Holy Spirit. That He's going, why are you doing this? Why are you being this way? I've called you to this new identity and yet you are drifting back to your old self. It grieves this holy God when we choose not to grow. When we choose to just punch a card week after week, Sunday after Sunday, and God's like, he's called us to more than that. He's called us to this growing thing. I'm learning this uh, as a father now, that my daughter needs me to be growing as a child of God so I can be the best father to her I possibly can be. It's important that I, I don't go, well, I've got all this experience and knowledge. Man, I need the humble, humbling of God to work in my life so that I can be the best father to her that she needs. And that only happens because my natural selfish tendencies just draw me back to myself. And God, Paul is saying, don't grieve the Spirit by living in a way that your anger is embarrassing or that you give in to gratifying your own satisfaction for lust and a whole bunch of other things. Um, the way you talk to people, the way you deal with people, I mean, you, he kind of goes through all that. He said, don't grieve the Spirit. Do not grieve the Spirit by whom you were sealed from the day of redemption. He says, don't, don't do this to God. God's done this in your life. Honor Him. Don't grieve Him. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and, and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you. Can you see the value of growing now? Can you see the importance that we are to be growing? Because if we're not, we can, we can drift back to our old self. And we don't mean to, don't intend to. But man, if, if we're not growing in our relationship with God, and we're not allowing people to speak into our lives... Man, there's a tendency to just be stuck, to be not going where God wanted us to go. And I love this because I was thinking about a couple questions. Attitudes and desires can't be stored. They got to be getting rid of. You got to punt them. You got to get them out. You can't take that old self and say, I'll just, you know, I'm just going to 
just going to put it over here, Danny. No, pretty clearly Paul is saying, if you don't get rid of these things, you're going to gravitate towards them. You mean, you know, you just will. That'd be like telling an alcoholic, um, you can go, you can go to the bar and have some food, uh, but you know, just be careful that you don't, I mean, that's not a place they should go, right? That's just not a place because that's the temptation. That's where their old self was. And it's, just, it's the same thing. He says, are there some attitudes and desires that can't be stored? They've got to be, you got to get them out. And the other thing I'll ask you is this. What is God revealing that needs to be taken off? Because it's funny because you, you think, Danny, I, I don't know, do I need to take something off? I've known people that told me that they love Jesus but their children would tell me something completely different because I was a youth pastor. I heard these stories, hard stories. I heard it from children whose parents were leaders in the church, but their lifestyle and what they did at home did not match the words they said here. Because part of what we want to do, and I know this about myself, is I want to kind of, I kind of want to have the old self I just, that's my, that's my selfish part of me. And God keeps telling me that that can't stay. You can't leave it in the closet. You can't leave it down in the basement. It's got to go. It's got to go. So what is God revealing for us, for you this morning, that is there a behavior or a character issue that you keep wanting to put on or you've left it on and God is like, if, you're, if your identity is in me, it needs to go. You don't, it doesn't get to stay anymore. It's got to go. You can't grow in your relationship with Christ to the fullest extent if you allow stuff to stay in your closet. Does that make sense? If you allow stuff to stay there thinking, it's not a big deal. It's not affecting anybody. No, it is. It's affecting you. It's keeping you from growing the way God intended for you to grow. John Stott said this, and I'll close. However holy or Christ-like a Christian may become, he is still in the condition of being changed. And I know that about myself. I am still on a journey and I have not arrived. Every time I read something of God's word, I'm, I'm a, as I told you last week, I am spending intentionality going through the book of Proverbs, not in mass amounts, but just like sh- small chunks of verses. And I'm just like, wow, I've read a lot of Proverbs. I've read through Proverbs. And I'm like, the way in which I'm doing it is good for me to do it verse by verse, very slowly and very methodically, because I'm catching all kinds of things that you tend to not catch when you read it in mass. So maybe for you, God is saying, there's got to be a character change. There's got to be something you need to, you need to get this out of your closet. And this may be your reminder going home today is, I've got some stuff in my spiritual closet that I've let stay way too long. That's, it, it's got to go. It's got to go. Because I have a tendency to want to put it on. So let's pray. Father, I think about the, my closet that coat could represent pride, could represent spiritual knowledge. It could represent a title. It could represent a lot of things for all of us in this room. And that is our old identity. And you're asking us not to leave it in any proximity that we might have the temptation to want to put it on. That you have, this new identity is such a beautiful thing. It's an extraordinary thing. It is, it's reflective of you. And when we put on the new 
itself, everybody goes, that person is a follower of Christ. But it takes a growing awareness that that identity is really crucial and it requires a growing in our relationship with you, like a parenting skills, like marriage, like friendship, a vocation. It takes growth. We don't get there by just signing on. I pray for some in this room that their old identity keeps creeping into their life. They want to put on that old self. It looks appealing. It looks attractive. They don't see the big deal. Or there maybe there's some pride there. They think, I got this. I can figure it out. I can protect myself. Father, there may be some in this room that they don't have this new identity that I'm talking about. They don't understand that they need this new identity. And maybe for some in this room, they need to take the most important step they'll ever take is to identify themselves as a child of God. And myself or Corey, we would be honored to help them to see what it looks like to be a child of God and that they can begin this new identity. There may be some in this room that PBC is, they want to identify as part of this church family. And if they need to do that, that we'd be privileged to talk with them about how to take that step. Father, for the next few moments, I pray that we will do business about this new identity and leaving the old identity behind. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I'll ask you to stand. Myself will be here. Corey is here. This is an altar we often use.